0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. I don't know about any of you, but I am still obsessed with Mindy Kaling after her amazing appearance on The Office. Um, She is also an author, for those of you who don't know. This is her third work. It's called Nothing Like I Imagined, and it's an Amazon original story. It's a collection of short stories, six of them about how she juggles life as a new mom actress and Hollywood power Buncher. And her story collection is actually the sponsor of this episode. Uh, it was written and narrated by Mindy, and it's great to listen to on the go. Available in audio and ebook format, Prime members can listen and read it for free. So you can download this today at Amazon.com/MindyStories. That's Amazon.com/MindyStories. It's absolutely hilarious, and just you will not want to stop reading. So check it out today: Amazon.com/MindyStories. I was so excited to interview Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my gosh, she has been one of my favorite actresses for so long, from the time of watching her in Trading Places to Freaky Friday. I mean, she is just such a superstar. It's amazing. I also love her children's books. She's written more than a dozen so far, all of which are fantastic. And now she has done an Audible original called Letters from Camp, which is fantastic, and she also is part of the narration of that. She's a beloved American actress and talent from the time she started Halloween, and she's still busy producing so many different things. She's also recently started My Hand in Yours, which we're going to talk about on the podcast, which is a non-profit. Profit that benefits children in the hospital. So listen and enjoy it. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for coming on. Mom don't have time to read books.
1: This is such a treat. Well, apparently you do because there are a lot of books behind you. <laughs> there are a lot of rainbow organized books behind you.
0: Yes. Well, I try to make time and share what I can read with other people who might not have as much. Maybe
1: <laughs> I understand. I understand. i This is how we do it, isn't it? We share with other people
0: you have contributed so much in so many different areas in the artistic world. And your latest endeavor is Letters from Camp, an Audible original, which came out this summer. So I just wanted to talk a little bit first about that. Tell me how the idea for an Audible original came about and particularly this show.
1: Okay, well, it's it's funny because it's it's such a wonderful story that the show was born from such a beautiful moment. So I am the proud godmother of three New York raised children. My friend Lisa Bernbach lives in New York and her three children obviously lived there with her and were educated in New York. And I'm the godmother of all of them. And my middle godchild, Boko, wrote me a letter from camp when she was 12 years old, which she never sent. You know, she wrote it and then put it in her shoebox of cards and then obviously didn't send it. Had my name written on the outside of the envelope and in November of last year, I got a letter in the mail from Lisa, and inside that letter was the letter from Boko, unopened. And I opened it up, and it was a letter from a 12-year-old saying, Dear Godmother Jamie, I made a mistake. I got into trouble, blah, blah, blah. I wish you were here because you would know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And I immediately called Boko, who's 26 years old, And a comedy writer here in Los Angeles. And I said, Boko, I got your letter from when you were 12. And I said, you know, it's fantastic. And there's a TV show here. So originally we were going to do it as a TV show. And as we started talking about it, we found out that the audible idea, doing a podcast, doing a scripted podcast with characters and sound effects, just like old radio plays, they call it TV for your ears. It it feels like a TV show, but it's audible. And they bought it and loved it. And we made it this summer during COVID. Everybody was remote. It was written in about a month. And then we performed it. And then it was out August 4th.
0: Wow. Crazy. That's That's the way to do it, right? <laughs> well,
1: and... It's a new world for me, the Audible world. And Audible as a company has been fantastic as a partner to really understand that there are people who want content, who want things. And this was just a wonderful, it's super funny. They have been fantastic partners, Audible, in the creation of it and the whole world of Audible. I didn't know about it. And it's just been so fun. And we had such a great cast It's got songs in it that are like earworms that get in your head and then you can't get it out of your head. And it's just been an absolute joy, kind of crazy experience and super fun.
0: Amazing. I heard that when I was listening to the introductory theme song, I spent many years at sleepaway camp and it just like took me back to all that time on the bus and singing the camp songs and all the rest. Were you a sleepaway camp girl yourself? I was. I am,
1: as you can maybe tell, you know, I like to compartmentalize. I like things to all work well. And for me, trunks at camp were like your own fiefdom. Like, I, you know, I know some kids hated the idea of a trunk and they had to keep it clean and thing and everything was all messy. I loved it. I loved that you could roll your T-shirts and line them up. I loved the little soap box. Remember, it was like a plastic <laughs> yes. soap <Yeah>. box. <laughs> I loved every aspect of camp. I loved lanyards. I loved the group activities. And so this show just s- spoke to my heart. And made me remember how wonderful that is experience is for people. And honestly, if people have the opportunity to go to camp, I think anybody who had that opportunity, obviously not everyone had that opportunity, but the privileged people that were able to go to camp have that nostalgic feeling of creating like a new version of yourself and kind of learning who you are. And I think that's the great benefit of camp.
0: It's so true. I actually, my son is like very into how his room looks and now he's growing up, he's five. And he's like, I don't want to have a step stool as my side table. <laughs> so literally yesterday I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get you like an old fashioned camp trunk and I could put it here and you could store all your little treasures. So anyway, trunks have been on my well, mind. This whole let week- me, I'm sorry,
1: you just said something about your son is very specific about the way his room looks. Yes. I might ask you to turn over your left shoulder and look at your bookcase. <laughs> I know, I
0: see where it comes from, but he's yeah. my he's my only one of four who actually cares. So there you go. Who knew? (laughs) The fourth time. Well, Letters from Camp is absolutely fantastic and a total comeback and fabulous to listen to. But I also wanted to talk about your over a dozen children's books because I've been reading them with my kids, the oldest are 13. And so I've been reading them for years and I'm so impressed with the output and the content and the cleverness and the way you make different concepts from self-esteem to the alphabet to everything and being brave and all of it accessible and fun. So tell me about how you started writing children's books.
1: Well, I, thank you, by the way. Thank welcome. you. Welcome. They are my best thing. They will be the best contribution I make to the universe besides raising my kids. For sure. I never thought I'd write a book. I barely got out of school. I am a uh, well-educated, uneducated woman. I am, I spell so poorly. I count on my fingers. I did not receive a schooling at all. I was just, so it's a miracle that I survived my youth. I never thought I'd write a book. And my four-year-old daughter walked into my office one day, apropos of nothing. And I was sitting at a desk and she was down the hall and she came marching into my room. And I remember she stood there and kind of was delicious in her 4 year oldness And she went, when I was little, I... Wore diapers, but now I use a potty. And then she marched out of the room and I thought, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And I wrote down on a piece of paper in front of me, when I was little, a four-year-old's memoir of her youth, which just made me laugh because she was talking about when she was little, the way I talk about when I had long hair and wore it in a shag (laughs) or, you know, when I wore bell-bottoms like the good old days that I remember fondly. She was reminiscing about because she had a past, even though I only looked at her having a future because she was so little. I never thought that she would look back. I only thought she would look forward. And when you have small children, you're only looking forward. School, shoes, clothes, food. School, clothes, clothes, shoes, food. I mean, it's the, you're only looking forward. Where are they going to go to grade school, high school, college? And so in the writing of that, I wrote down a list of things that she used to do, but now, no, that she couldn't do, and now she can do. And I found that at the end of the list, I wrote three things. I started to cry, and I realized it was a book. And it was the last thing I thought I would do. And all of a sudden I was moved by it and I realized it was a book about self-discovery, about self-ownership. And I realized it was a book for children and I sold it that day. I sent it via fax. Faxes were new then, that's how old I am. <laughs> and I remember sending it in a curly Q paper to an agent in New York who was my mother-in-law's best friend. She sent it to Collins, which was actually Harper Row back then. And they bought it. Joanna Kotler, who was the head of children's books, bought the book, and that began my career as an author. And I had had a book that my daughter Annie loved, we loved the way parents and children love books, called Annie Banani. And it was written by Leah Kamiko, and it was illustrated by Laura Cornell. And so I said to Harper Rowe, who had published Annie Banani, I would like Laura Cornell to draw the pictures. And she and I have been partners since then for whatever, 13, 14 books.
0: Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Last
1: thing in the world I thought I'd do.
0: Last <laughs> thing
1: in the world. And I don't write them. They come to me. I wait for them. And then they pop into my head almost fully formed. And I can barely get them down on the paper. That's how fast they come.
0: Wow. And your most recent one, me, selfie, and I, that was hilarious. The mom outside, like, Taking the selfies in the snow and all well, that.
1: Well, it's you know obviously the as uh, as I get older and the children get older, I'm no longer seeing the world from a young child's perspective. I'm seeing it from our perspective of how we relate to young people and the poison of social media and our self obsession and our self altering nature and I mean even here I'm sitting here and I have a light over here and I have a light over here you know because if I didn't have those lights it wouldn't be at all good and so it's not like I will tell the truth on myself I do it too but I don't alter photographs and I don't throw up a hundred filters and all of a sudden try to look like I'm not 61 years old I think it's a poison. And it was my way of talking about it because I knew if I had made it about kids doing it, nobody would have liked it because they would have felt that I was making a social statement about them. And I think they would have been like, yeah, well, F off. You know what I mean? Like, just go away. Whereas by turning it on the mom, making the mom the one who's obsessed by it, who can't stop looking at herself, the constancy of her, you know, the, the faces we make, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, but it, it really was my think piece about self-obsession and the opposite of that, which is selflessness, which is what the world needs way more of. And so it was a little bit of a think piece. But
0: <laughs> and speaking of the selflessness, tell me more about My Hand in Yours, which is your oh, latest so sweet. endeavor, which as you know, I just got very excited about myself. <laughs>
1: It's very sweet of you to support it. So, I am 61 years old and I am at that point in my life where my motto now is if not now, when? If not me, who? Like, what am I not doing to create love in the universe? Like, what am I doing? Like, how selfish is my life? And I have always supported Children's Hospital Los Angeles and for years. If you went through a bad thing, or if a friend of mine went through a bad thing, I would either buy a little gift, and I would send it. I'm a gift giver. I like gifting. And I would write on a card, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. You know, I hope she recovers. Remember, through it all, my hand in yours, is what I would say. It was a phrase that I put those four words together to say I'm not with you, but imagine what it would feel like if you felt my hand in yours. And that's what I want you to feel when I'm not there with you. And I've been saying that for a long time. And I've been collecting small sculptures by this artist named Ann Ricketts, who makes little feet, little tiny, beautiful feet that I love to send people and say, remember to be where your feet are meaning get out of your head and be right where you are in the moment. And so I've been buying and supporting Ann Ricketts for a long time. And I had this thought, what if we made a sculpture of two hands holding, I don't know if you can see it. Let me put some light on it. Oh my, look at me with my lighting (laughs) skills. And that it could fit in your palm. You could hold it like this and that it would be two hands holding. And I went to Anne and asked her if I could commission her to make them. And I explained to her that I was going to donate 100% of the sales to Children's Hospital Los Angeles, which is an organization I've worked with. And I was going to call it My Hand in Yours. And I was going to create a marketplace for comfort items for people during times of crisis. Now, this was last year when I thought I would start this project. And I thought maybe it would be like an Instagram store or something. I didn't really know. And then, you know, the universe changed and COVID hit. And all of a sudden, the need for contact with other people, the need to be able to send someone a gift and say, I'm with you during this incredibly hard time, you know, presented itself. And so I started a company and I never thought I'd start a company. I underwrote the company so that 100% of the profits. And that means that Ann Rickards donates all of her time, all of her artistry, all of her sculpting time, all of the preparation. And then they get sent to a foundry where they're produced. And then she makes sure that each one is perfect, polishes each one, bags each one. All of that is done for free so that I can sell them And the 100% of that sale goes to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And so everybody that has participated, Ann Ricketts, my friend Kathy Waterman has created this fantastic hand charm. I don't know if you can see it, which, you know, I will tell you from uh, like product testing, I have reached up and grabbed that hand. So there's something so tactile about holding this pendant as I go through my day. So it Kathy created that. That's on the website. And so I have now expanded the website. There are now medallions that you can buy because obviously I wanted to make sure that there were things with different price points. So the medallion is $12. And for $12, you can have it sent to a loved one with a note from you and the money goes to children's hospital. And then the sculptures obviously are more money, the pendant blankets, soon we're going to have candles, we're going to have beautiful objects. It's objects of comfort in times of crisis, 100% goes to Children's Hospital. And all of a sudden, I have a store. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, I have a store. I like shit. (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing shipping every day it's hilarious because I'm not that person but yet I've become that person so I'll, I'll look for you at UPS you know you will be receiving it at <laughs> UPS or USPS it depends what method you choose or FedEx you can choose all of the methodology to getting it to you
0: you might want to add some pictures yeah. of the scale of it because I was on the website earlier like show it you mean of the person.
1: pendant like just to show you know how, how big or small
0: they are Maybe I did it in too much of a hurry, but I didn't notice like somebody wearing it or anyway. Yes, I will do so. That's such a good idea. <laughs> okay. I will get on it. Let me get my people on it. Yeah, you, you go and you do that. <laughs> Why did you pick Children's Hospital Los Angeles? Did you have a, an, a, you have a personal connection? Did something happen or did you use it or do you just think it's a great thing or, or what?
1: I have been a supporter of children's hospitals throughout the country for a long time. Uh, it started when I was making a movie in Pontiac, Illinois, and there was a charity put on by the town of Pontiac for a young woman named Lori Toll, who was the first successful heart transplant recipient as a child. She was 13 years old and it was experimental surgery. The insurance company was not going to pay for it. And so the town of Pontiac put on a benefit and the movie I was making, we joined the benefit. And she and I became friends, and when she passed away at 19, I made a big donation to Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, which was a, you know, fantastic institution at the front of that type of surgery. Uh, Dr. Starzl, Thomas Starzl was, is, was, you know, really a pioneer in transplant surgery. And I worked with them for years, And then when I came back home every time, it was felt weird that I would go to Pittsburgh and work on behalf of people in Illinois when in fact I live in California and I have one of the greatest institutions in Los Angeles. And so I literally just cold called them one day and said, "Look, I'm doing this work for other places I would like to start to support Children's Hospital Los Angeles." And then it ended up that I they were doing bond initiatives to raise money, hospital bonds, and I just became the spokesperson and started doing the commercials for them and then I've just been involved with them since. They're just a fantastic Organizations, my hometown, born and raised here in the city of Angels, and it was important to me that I give back to them. So that's they get all of my support.
0: I, I can just imagine the person who picked up the phone that day who was like, um, yeah, that'll you know work. What? We'll take that donation. Sure, get involved. Why not? <laughs>
1: For anybody watching this, you don't have to do big gestures. Like one of the proudest things that ever happened in my life is that one of my best girlfriends, because of my involvement at Children's Hospital, decided to volunteer as a cuddler. And a cuddler is for all of the premature babies who are in the NICU, who do not have their parents or mother or father or grandparents with them. Volunteers are trained and then vetted, and then you go in and literally sit in a chair and they bring you these babies, and you rock them and hold them and sing to them. And one of my best girlfriends made that her commitment to Children's Hospital. No fanfare, no big TV ads, but hours and hours and hours of her day where she would hold these little babies. That's what I'm saying to people watching and listening, we have to do something, we have to. As human beings, we are not here to look at ourselves on our phones. That is not the reason we're here. We're here to manifest our destiny as human beings and create a loving connection in the universe. That's why we're here. That's just why we're here. And so, you know, whatever it is, you can do something. And this is a time in our, in our nation, in the world where we all have to be doing something. I don't care what it is. I mean, look at what Bette Midler has done in this in New York City. Look at what Bette Midler has done with her parks projects, reclaiming these old, you know, disheveled pieces of property and turn them into local urban gardens and meeting places and transform the city. That's just one person going, you know what, I'm going to do that. And all the volunteers and all the people that joined her, that's what we can do. And I hope that's what we teach our children to do because if we're not teaching them that, it's over. We're, th- then it's just anarchy and then the, you know, the world will blow up. But I do believe that you can make a huge, huge difference in the lives of other people by suiting up and showing up and trying to help people. So if anybody takes away anything from this, besides
0: I do a lot of hand motions. So. <laughs>
1: then that would be a good thing.
0: This could actually be part of your, my hand in yours, you know. Well,
1: I'm going to tell you a quick little <laughs> story. I'm literally, I've been texting with the person about the picture on the chain. Oh, so good. let me just finish that. This, this is, is what we call multitasking.
0: I love it. I make a
1: suggestion. It gets implemented during the podcast. Like immediately. It should be up on the website before we're done. Um, okay, hold on. I have to pull this back because all of a sudden everything just went weird, but now I'm back. So this Yes. So here's a funny thing. When I was doing Activia yogurt commercials for a very long time, there were hand gestures that we had to use to demonstrate what the product was helping to achieve. And the first one, and I literally had training, <laughs> training to learn how to go like this. <laughs> uh, you see it? Where you go like this. Now, it can't be. It's like, it's, it's truth in advertising. So it's, again, it's not a laxative and it's not, it's a, you know, it's a probiotic, but it's supposed to help you poop better. And so I had the training where I did this, but then there was all sorts of kerfuffling about, you know, what does this really mean? And so then the new, and if you go back and look at those commercials, which I loved doing by the way, And the fun part of it was actually meeting people. But the second wave of the hand gesture was we couldn't do this anymore. So we had to talk about how it made you feel better. And the new gesture was this. (laughs) (laughs) It was like when you take this product, you feel lighter and better. And I had training in that too. And there is a commercial where I'm walking along, talking, 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 and then I go like this anyway. Oh. Hand gestures.
0: Behind the scenes of the yoga. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) My daughter would not forgive me if I didn't ask you at least one question about Freaky Friday, which is like her favorite movie. So were there, I just have to ask something. I don't know. I don't even have a question. I guess, how was it filming that movie? And are you going to be doing any more movies? Or are you now like firmly in the children's book might come again. We might do another Audible original. What's coming next? Um, That was a lot of
1: questions. That was like twenty-five. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, one. Take one. um, it's all right. I'll yeah. watch this. Watch this, watch this. I'm, I'm ready for the answer. I'm ready. <laughs> um, I'd still make movies. I just had a Halloween movie. I was in that movie Knives Out last year. We have another Halloween movie to shoot. I may go off and make another movie. So yes, I'm in the movie business. I'm in the TV business as I have now a company that is trying to produce our own work part of which is the Letters from Camp podcast, which I believe, fingers crossed, that we will make more of. More, It was always conceived as a three-summer show. We wanted to avoid teenagers because young <laughs> girls are like, yes, we want to avoid teenagers. So we wanted to set a show in the summer of Mookie Hooper's 12th, 13th, and 14th year. So we're hoping that that happens. And lastly... I loved Freaky Friday. It was a surprise for me. I was in the middle of a book tour. I had a 15-year-old daughter of my own and a five-year-old son and an actress pulled out of the movie and I stepped on a moving train, honestly, sort of in three days, I was now pretending to be 15 and 50 all at the same time. Like it was it was fantastic. And I think the reason why it's so good and why it was such a pleasure for me is that I had zero time to prepare for it. Zero. On a scale of zero to 100, zero. Like honestly, like three days later I was shooting. And so because of that, I had to just go, okay, whatever. How old am I? You know, I mean, just like immediately... Release my ego and just be 15, which I was living with a 15 year old and I knew many 15 year olds. And so it was very easy for me to do. And I think if I'd had a lot of time, I might have gotten very self conscious about it. And in that sense, it was the freest I've ever been in my life. Just was like, okay, what am I doing today? Okay. And because of that, I think it was so successful because I was having the time of my life.
0: Amazing. I love that. You can tell. It's like joy. It was so fun. It was amazing.
1: And because of that movie, I will actually have put into the world of parenting a phrase that I ad-libbed, which is not my skill. I am not an improviser, but I did improvise because I was living with a 15-year-old of my own, shooting at the Palisades High School. Oh, my God. The opening, my first day of work was at Pali High, very near from where I lived. And when the mom drops her daughter off and the daughter gets out of the car and the mom leans out the window and says, make good choices out loud while all of the kids are around her. It may be my proudest moment and it certainly is going to be my legacy from that movie is make good choices, you know, will outlive me,
0: I think. I think that's a good If I were going to make a title for this podcast, that would be it. Make good that's choices. All, that's like all of what you've talked about, right? In life, yes. in literature, in audibles, and everything. Giving back, it's all about that. So. But it's
1: also about life is for living. We are here such a short time, and the older you get, the time gets shorter. And it's time to really focus on making your moment count, whatever it is, being be it planting a seed in one of those gardens, be it holding one of those babies at Children's Hospital where nobody is going to be, it's not a glitzy gig. You're not going to get a bunch of kudos. You're going to feel it inside you. And I think the more I'm a public figure, the more I understand that all of the outside attention, and I get a lot of attention, means honestly nothing. That the only that self-esteem comes from doing esteemable things. That's the way it happens. You don't get self-esteem because you get a million followers on Instagram. You get self-esteem because you buy groceries for your elderly neighbor and you don't even tell them it's you. And you leave them a beautiful planted dahlia on your neighbor's porch without a note. That's how you get self-esteem. You get it from doing things for other human beings and i hope that we can all live that way until until we're not here anymore so that's actually the my raison d'être my reason for doing it all it's all boiled down to that so And I'm really happy to meet you. And I hope next time you're in California, you'll let me know and we'll social distance walk or
0: something. I would love that. Sounds great. Okay,
1: cool. All right. Thank thank you you for having me. Of
0: course. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thank you. I won't tell your neighbor about the dahlias. You know, I'll keep it a a little secret. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Mindy Kaling and her book, Nothing Like I Imagined, for sponsoring this episode. You can get it on Amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. And again, it's called Nothing Like I Imagined. Go check it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.